Amen. So let's do this this morning. I want to just talk to you a little bit. Let me see if I can get this going. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about what we've been talking about. We began last Sunday a message simply entitled Courage, Conviction, and Calling. And we talked about the significance of those things. Let me just encourage you, if you were not here last Sunday or you missed last Sunday's message, uh, let me just encourage you to check it out. Wherever you consume uh, social media, wherever you get videos, all that good stuff, our YouTube page, our Facebook page, podcast, wherever that is, you go grab that stuff and, uh, and get connected. We really want you to dive in to what God is doing. And I really believe that what God said last week, not necessarily my preaching, but I think the context of the scripture and the ideas of what the Lord was communicating is very, very important for this day and age in which we're living. And as I shared last Sunday, I don't believe that this message is just for our uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. I really believe that this message is a theme for this year, that God is calling us to a place of courage, a place of conviction, and a place of calling. And we're going to look at that second word today. We're going to talk about conviction this morning. And uh, so I want you to look with me in Ezekiel chapter 22. And Ezekiel chapter 22 uh, is kind of our foundational scripture. This scripture kind of tells us why we need courage, why we need conviction, and why we need to understand the calling of God upon our lives. The Bible says this, verse 23, And again a message came to me from the Lord, saying, Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. In the day of my indignation, you will be like a polluted land, a land without rain. Your princes plot conspiracies just as lions stalk their prey. They devour innocent people, seizing treasures and exhorting wealth. They make widows in the land. Your priests have violated my instructions. They have defiled my holy things. They make no distinction between what is holy and what is not. And what is not. And they do not teach my people the difference between what is ceremonial, clean, and unclean. They have disregarded my Sabbath day so that I am dishonored among them. Your leaders are like wolves who tear apart their victims. They actually destroy people's lives for money. And your prophets cover up for them by announcing false visions and making lying predictions. They say, my message is from the sovereign Lord when the Lord hasn't spoken a single word to them. And even common people oppress the poor, rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. Now here's our hope, verse 30. But God says, and I look for someone who might rebuild the walls of righteousness that guard the land. I search for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so that I wouldn't have to destroy the land. But I found no one. So now I will pour out my fury on them. This scripture is significant because God speaks to Ezekiel. And basically he tells Ezekiel that from the top to the bottom of the nation of Israel, they are corrupted by sin. Sin has came in at the top of the White House, so to speak, all the way down to the church house. And everybody in between has somehow been corrupted and perverted by sin. And then in verse 30, God gives us hope. God says, and I looked for someone. I looked for a man. I looked for a woman that would stand in the gap, that would rebuild the wall of righteousness so that I would not have to destroy the land. Let me just remind you that God's heart is always redemption. God's heart is always salvation. God's heart is never judgment and destruction. His heart is always to bring us out of the judgment of our sin and bring us into the mercy and the grace of God. And so we see the heart of God here in Ezekiel as he talks about he was looking for a man. He's looking for a woman, an individual, a person that would stand in the gap. And we recognized last week that the someone that God is looking for today is me and you. The someone that God is looking for today is the local church. How many know the local church really is the hope of the world? 
right? If you're looking to the White House, you're in trouble, right? If you're looking to the courthouse, you're in trouble. If you're looking to the business realm, you're in trouble. If you're looking to the church, that's where our hope is. The hope of the world is that born-again believers in Jesus Christ would begin to rebuild the walls, that we would stand in the gap, that we would refuse. We would refuse to stand idly by and watch our world go to hell. Right? We just got to make that decision. We got to make the decision that we're not going to stand idly by and watch the world literally go to hell. That we're going to do something. That we're going to be the difference makers. That we're going to be those people that literally rebuild the wall and stand in the gap building relational bridges for people to cross over. I said this last Sunday. I want to say it again today. Every one of us that are here today are here today because somebody stood in the gap. Somebody created a relational bridge for you to come out of darkness into light. Somebody loved you, prayed for you, encouraged you, witnessed you, invited you to church. Somebody did something that made a difference in your life. And you crossed over out of darkness into the light of Christ because somebody built a bridge. They stood in the gap. And be honest, let me just be honest with you today. The truth is it probably wasn't an easy thing and it probably wasn't a convenient thing and it was probably even a difficult thing for them to do that because let's be honest, most of us in that point in time of our life were not the greatest kind of people. <laughs> your BC days were not your best days, amen? And the fact is that somebody stood in the gap for us and loved us when we were unlovable and prayed for us when we didn't want prayer and pursued us when we didn't want to be pursued because that's what Christians do. Can I get an Amen. And so we're called to be those people. So I want you to look with me uh, in the Gospel of John. Let's look at that first point on your outline. So today we're going to talk about conviction. What is conviction? And why do we need conviction in our life? Conviction is firmly held beliefs that define who we are. That's how Webster defines a conviction. It is a firmly held belief that literally defines who we are. And I took it just a little step further. I believe that convictions are the things that we are willing to live for and the things we're willing to die for. Think about the convictions. Your convictions, what you firmly believe, help define who you are. Now, let me just give you a very simple, super non-spiritual conviction. How many guys I got in the house? Let me hear you, man. Oh, y'all sounded good this morning. So let me give you a very non-spiritual conviction. Men have convictions about oil changes. Right? Some of you guys have a conviction that every 3,000 miles, I mean on the dot, we're going to change that oil. I mean, come hell or high water, we're going to figure out a way. That oil is going to be changed, right? I'll give me the head nod. All you 3,000 mile guys, come on, y'all, give me a little nod out there. And then there's some of you guys, probably a little more like me, you're a 3,000 to 5,000 mile guy. You know, you're like, well, we're going to get close, you know, 3,000, 5,000. You know, I use that good synthetic oil, so I should be able to get a little further anyway. So. <laughs> and then there's some of you guys that you don't have any conviction about your oil change. You're like, oh, whenever we get to it, we get to it. And you're the guys we have to pick up on the side of the road. But that's a very non-spiritual thing. But think about it. Those convictions define you. They define the choices and decisions they make. They define the priorities that you make in your life over an oil change. Now, today we're going to talk about convictions. And we're going to talk about not necessarily oil change convictions. We're going to talk about some spiritual convictions. The convictions that, as I just said, hopefully are the kind of convictions that we live by and the convictions that we're actually even willing to die for. 
And when you think about that, I mean, think about, for instance, what are the convictions you're really willing to die for? I'm just going to tell you right now, I am what? Not willing to die over an oil change. My oil change conviction is not, I'm going to die for it. But you know what? Hopefully, we do have some of those convictions. Hopefully, we have some of those convictions that are, I hope, rooted and grounded in our faith in Jesus Christ, in our hope that He is who He says He is, and that we're called to do what He's called us to do, and that there are some convictions that, yes, we'd be willing to die for. But let me just encourage you in something. I, I think it takes more conviction to live for something than it does to die for something. And let me explain that for just a second. I'm going to probably linger in here way too long, but let me explain that. When it comes to a life or death conviction, many times that comes in a moment. And i got to decide based on my convictions, am I going to do this thing? And you know what I found out? That in the moment, many times, we can make a right decision. And we can be willing because of conviction to die for our faith in Jesus Christ. But this is what I found out. I found out that it takes a deeper conviction. Not just in a moment of death or crisis, but on a daily basis to live for Christ. I've met a lot of guys over the years, and it tends to be guys. I've met a lot of guys. Most of them are really younger, usually in your early 20s. I remember being one of those 20-year-old guys, and I'm like, I'm going to die for Jesus, you know. And I believe it. I believe that most of those guys would die for Jesus. The problem is most of them aren't living for Jesus. They would die for him. <laughs> They're just not really living for Him. Because it really does take a greater level of conviction to get up every day, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, and actually do the thing that pleases God. That's the conviction that God is calling us to. And it's what we're going to see today. That's the conviction that's going to change the world. That's the conviction that's going to make a difference. And let me just encourage you this. Every time we live by conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we rebuild the wall. Every time you live by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you begin to stand in the gap and you, become, you begin to become a relational bridge for other people to cross over into a relationship or the life or the freedom or the healing of Jesus Christ. And what is encouraging, I want you to hear this today, what is encouraging about this message is that it is through the power of conviction that we automatically begin to rebuild the walls. Through the power of conviction, we automatically find ourselves standing in the gap, making a difference for other people to cross over. And the reason I say that, I said this at the 8 o'clock service this morning, I feel like sometimes, especially us as pastors and preachers, we get up on a stage and, and sometimes we paint this picture of Christianity that almost kind of seems unattainable. <laughs> And it's just kind of out there. You know, it's like, oh, that standard seems so high. I don't know if I can ever live up to that. Let me give you some good news today. The power of conviction is that conviction enables us to stand in the gap and rebuild the wall by just the fruit of what it is. In other words, it's not by my might nor by my power. If I will just learn how to live by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I will begin to live the kind of life that rebuilds the wall of righteousness and stands in the gap for other people to cross over into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's encouraging to me because the weight of that doesn't fall on my shoulders. The weight of that falls on the empowering of the Holy Spirit who now works through me to help me live the kind of life that I really genuinely want to live. And that's the kind of life that makes a difference. Can I get an amen from somebody? 
So, John chapter 16. We're going to hang out in John 16 all morning today. We're going we're to read quite a few verses there. We're going to start in verse 5. Jesus is speaking in John 16. And he says this. He says, but now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. That's a powerful statement. For if I do not go away, the helper, again, the helper is the Holy Spirit. We're going to see him called several different names in these scriptures. He says, but if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And verse 8, this is our scripture verse for the week. I hope everybody got their brace. If you didn't get it, get your bracelet and your card. John 16, verse 8. And when he has come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, speaking of the helper, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So look at that next point on your outline. We need convictions that are rooted in the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need convictions that are rooted in the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's huge for our lives. And so Jesus specifically tells us three things. Jesus says that one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit is that he will convict the world. He's going to bring conviction into the world that doesn't know Christ. And he's going to bring conviction into the hearts and lives of those of us that are born again. So let's talk about those three things real quickly this morning. Jesus said, first of all, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. And then he defines that in verse 9. He says, because they do not believe in me. How many of you realize it is the sin of unbelief that sends people to hell? You don't go to hell because you're a drug addict and alcoholic. You go to hell because you reject Jesus Christ. Hell is filled with a lot of good people who were moral and integrous, but they did not accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we say this a lot at Liberty Church. Salvation is not an intellectual decision. That doesn't mean you don't use your brain because you do. But salvation is not an intellectual decision. Salvation is a spiritual decision that is birthed in our hearts by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draw them, they cannot come to me. No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw them, Jesus said. You know what that means? Without the conviction of the Holy Spirit, there is no salvation. So let me give you a, just a great resource here today. As you're praying for your family and friends and co-workers and people you know that don't know God, as you're praying for people that are lost and don't know the Lord, don't just pray that they will have eyes to see. Pray that their hearts will be convicted by the Holy Spirit. Pray for conviction. God, convict them. Convict them of their sin. And again, it's not the sin that they're a drug addict and alcoholic. It's not the sin that they're prideful and arrogant. It's not the sin of any of the... It is the sin of unbelief that keeps them from coming to Jesus so that the other sin can be dealt with. How many know God's in the cleaning up business? <laughs> He's really good at cleaning us up. He sanctifies us, sets us apart, and then begins to work on us through that process of sanctification. But it is that sin of unbelief that keeps people from ever coming into a relationship with God so they can be transformed by His grace. And let me tell you something. I remember being 15 years old on a Sunday night in a little Baptist church, sitting on the side wing of that little church. And I remember the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It was conviction. I didn't make an intellectual decision. My heart was about to beat out of my chest. 
I knew I was lost and going to hell. I knew I needed Jesus, even though I had been prayed and baptized, I think, three times before that. I mean, I was at least clean on the outside. Still messed up on the inside. And all of a sudden, a conviction came. And I, I've shared this before. I couldn't wait for, it was our associate pastor, Brother Cordy Gardner. I couldn't wait for him to stop talking. I kept thinking, I wish he'd hush so I could get saved. <laughs> I mean, I was ready for that altar call. I was ready to run to that altar and accept Jesus Christ. Why? Not because of an intellectual understanding, but because of a conviction from the Holy Spirit. That I knew that I knew that I knew that I needed Christ. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would convict the world of sin. So he convicts lost people of the revelation of Jesus Christ and their need for him. How many of you know he also convicts saved people? Come on, somebody. The Holy Spirit will convict us of sin. Right? Here's the, here's the good news. Think about it. Before you ever sin, he convicts you. Before you say it and do it, he says, don't say that, don't do that. I mean, it, it might be a second. Right? Because we make a whole lot of decisions and sometimes we make a very poor decision in a split second. But in that millisecond before you say and do that thing you're about to do, the Holy Spirit says, don't do that. He convicts us. He checks our heart. Why? Because He's trying to call us higher. He's trying to keep us out of the mud hole of sin and shame and call us into the glory and grace of God. So the Holy Spirit convicts us as believers of sin. And then guess what? If you ignore the conviction that says don't sin... And you do sin, you know what he'll do? He'll keep on convicting you until you repent. I mean, isn't it wonderful? Let me tell you something wonderful. When you are truly born again, it's really hard to enjoy sin. It really is. You just can't even have fun doing the bad things anymore. Right? I mean, what you used to feel good about, you don't feel good about doing anymore. What you used to anticipate doing, now you dread the thought of ever crossing that line again. Why? Because there is conviction from the Holy Spirit. It is a beautiful thing. Think about this. The Holy Spirit never convicts us to condemn us or judge us or make us feel less than. The Holy Spirit always convicts us to empower us to rise out of sin. To walk in the victory and the authority of Christ. And to be used as instruments of righteousness that brings healing and hope and salvation to other people. So when the Holy Spirit convicts you, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because he's calling us higher. And how wonderful and beautiful that is. And then he said he would convict the world of, of judgment, verse 11, because the ruler of this world is judged. How many know that the ruler of this world, according to Jesus, is not God? How many know Jesus didn't come to judge God? He came to judge Satan. The ruler of this world is judged. Satan is the ruler of this world. This world is living, the Bible says, under the sway of the evil one. Satan, we are living under a demonic system. Let me tell you something. This is not the kingdom of God that you're seeing in our world today. That's the kingdom of man, and really it's the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus said this, the ruler of this world is judged. When Jesus came through his death and resurrection, he brought judgment to the enemy. Now that judgment will not be fully enforced until the end of the age where Satan will be cast in the lake of fire where he'll be tormented forever and ever and ever and ever. But he has been judged. Judgment has come. And this is what he says. Because the ruler of this world has been judged, if you live by this system, you're going to come up short. You can't live your life by the systems of this world because the systems of this world have been judged unfit and unworthy. 
So what does he do? He convicts us of judgment to come. He convicts us that one day we're going to give an account to God for how we live our lives. One day we're going to be accountable, the Bible says, even for every idle word that we speak. And I talk for a living, so that's a whole lot of accountability for me, right? I mean, my words, I mean, I'm just going to be, I have to check my heart and I have to be willing to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry I even said that. You know why? Because one day I'm going to give an account for every idle word that I speak. It's not my heaven or hell, but it is my reward that's going to be based on whether I live my life in a way that honored and pleased the Lord. So all of a sudden we recognize Jesus and the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, convict us of righteousness. Let me say this. I don't think I said this. Convict us of righteousness. He said, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. How many know Jesus is the standard for Christianity? The standard for what my life and your life should look like is Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. And he is the light. He is the standard by which we are all obtaining to. God has appointed that we should all grow into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says one day when we see him, we'll actually become like him. We will be perfected. But in that process of time, we're daily becoming more and more like Jesus. So Jesus said, I'm not here anymore. You don't have a visible standard. So now you have a spiritual standard called the Holy Spirit. And he will convict you of what is right in the eyes of God, what is pleasing in the eyes of God. I I made this statement last year. We were talking about conviction. I made this statement. I said the, the greatest conviction in the life of a believer should not be the conviction of sin. It should be the conviction of righteousness. The thing that compels us the most should not be don't sin. The thing that compels us the most should be doing what pleases God. Our greatest convictions should be the convictions that produce the righteousness of Christ Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. Amen? Y'all still with me? All right. John chapter 16, verse 12. Let's pick up where we left off. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, again, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, the helper. When he has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Listen to this. We need convictions, look at that next point, that are, that are established upon the truth and authority of God's word. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, he would guide us into all truth. He would not speak of his own authority. But whatever he hears, that is what he would speak. We need to make sure here, we need to check our hearts, guys. We need to look at those convictions that define us and make sure that the convictions of our heart are based upon the truth of God's word. The authority and truth of the word of God. And as I was studying this, the Lord just reminded me, he said, Keith, do you realize there are literally people right now, there are are I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people that have deep-seated conviction that is based upon deception and lies. Every suicide bomber, every terrorist is driven by conviction. Right? They have such a conviction they are literally willing to die. And kill other people because of the conviction of their heart. But guess what? Their convictions are not rooted in truth. They're rooted in deception. And so the Lord said to me, he said, Keith, we got to make sure that we check our hearts. As Christians, we already have an advantage. We already embrace the Bible. We already embrace Jesus Christ. But we need to make sure when we look at our convictions, the things that define us, we need to make sure that those things are rooted and grounded in truth. 
And let me tell you something that happened in my life. When I was 19 years old, I really began to seek God. When I was 20 years old, I surrendered the call to preach. But during that little journey, there was about a six-month window where I was just diving into Scripture. And I realized something. I grew up in a Christian home. I, I saw Christianity model. I was in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night, whether I wanted to or not. Okay? And when I really began to study Scripture, here's what I found out. I found out that a lot of what I had been taught as truth was really preference. It wasn't necessarily the commandment of God, it was the doctrine of man. And I'm not saying that the doctrine of man, that their doctrines were bad, they weren't. They weren't like horrible things, they weren't encouraging people to sin. But I just recognized, I started recognizing that some of the things that I thought were Bible weren't actually Bible. <laughs> it was the doctrine of man. And so we need to make sure as we're living our lives that we, we're not just building our lives on preference. We all have preference. Let me tell you a funny story. Brother Rod and Mary, you guys all know Brother Rod and Mary Aguilar. Most of you do. They're going to be here in uh, first weekend in March, I believe it is. Uh, they're, they're, they're so much fun. If you ever hear Brother Rod and Mary speak together, you'll do a lot of laughing. A couple years ago, they were talking, and, and Miss Mary was sharing, and she said, you know, she said, we all have preferences, but then there's the commandment of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They were back in the days. Brother Rod was a huge pro-life uh, huge in the pro-life movement. He is, was very instrumental in helping literally bring an end to Roe versus Wade. And so he and Mary, I believe, had five kids at the time. And Mary wanted to go on birth control and Brother Rod was against birth control. And so Brother Rod said, if you're going to take birth control, I'm not going to sleep in the same bed with you. I'm going to sleep in the other room and we're not going to have relations together until you come off birth control. Mary said two nights later he moved back in the room. And she said, Brother Rod had a preference, he didn't have a conviction. <laughs> How many you know we all got preferences? I'm not saying your preferences are bad. I'm not saying they're bad. I, I have preferences I believe are good preferences. But when it comes to conviction and it comes to the things we're willing to live and die for, we need to make sure they're rooted in the truth of Scripture. Especially before we begin. Listen to me. I can have a preference that defines my life, but I can't have a, my, my preference can't define your life. I can't impose. So there are biblical convictions based on the Word of God, and then there are personal convictions the Holy Spirit brings to our life. Biblical convictions apply to everybody. Personal convictions apply to the person the Holy Spirit gave them to. So you've got to discern that. Because if you don't discern that, you become a legalist and religious and you start throwing stones at people that aren't living according to your standard when in reality they're actually still living according to God's standard. So we got to make sure that our convictions are established in truth. Look at John 16 verse 14 and 15. He goes on. He says, and he will glorify me, speaking of the Holy Spirit again, he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and he will declare it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So we need convictions, that next point, that glorify God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you hadn't figured it out yet, the Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus. Jesus always glorifies the Father, and they always glorify God. Everything that they do, they always, they always, they're always giving honor to one another. Why? Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all God. The Lord our God is one, but he reveals himself to us in three ways. And we need to make sure that our convictions glorify God. Let me, let me give you a simple example. We, we have a lot of people in the sports world. We're, we're, Jennifer talked about uh, 
Alabama Nick Saban this morning, football and all that good stuff, right? There, it, it amazes me. Let me say it. It amazes me the conviction that athletes have. I mean, the diet, the exercise, the regiment that they have in their life just to succeed. Just to succeed. The, I mean, the, the, the conviction that they have to have in their heart to do the hard things over and over and over and over again just so they might have a chance to one day maybe go to the pro or get the new, what's the new, NLIL? NIL, all that big money stuff for my name, image, and likeness. No, no, that's bad. I'm, I'm not saying any of that conviction bad. I'm just saying, think about this. Think about the conviction that some people have in the business world. I meet people all the time, and their big dream is I want to make a million dollars. I want to be a millionaire. I want to be a millionaire. I want to be a millionaire. You just scroll through social media. I mean, you just type in business success for millionaires, and your, your social media feed will, will fill up with every gimmick, scheme, and strategy on planet Earth on how you can make a million dollars and never work another day in your life. Good luck with that, by the way. So, but think about, think about the conviction. I mean, there are people that have done that. They've made millions of dollars, and they have this overwhelming conviction that defines and disciplines their life. But all of that, think about that, all the success, all the, the, the prosperity, all the money, all of that, if it doesn't glorify God, is useless. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Nothing wrong with success, nothing wrong with victory, nothing wrong with prosperity. I believe all those things are the fruit of living a life of conviction, as a matter of fact. But those things without glorifying God become empty things. They just become the accolades of man with no eternal reward. Amen? So we got to make sure that our convictions bring glory to God. That it's not self-driven or even success-driven, but it's glory-driven for the glory of God. All right. John 16. Let's go back to the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming when whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Listen to that statement. Whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Why do we need conviction? Look at the next point. Here's why we need conviction. We need conviction because the people we are trying to reach with the gospel are aggressive, deceived, and bound by the enemy. We need conviction because we're called to reach a world that doesn't want to be reached. Now, let me bring that home. Do you remember your BC days? Do you remember the days before you came to Christ? And somebody witnessed to you, you're like, leave me alone. And somebody said, I'm praying for you. And you said, blankety blank, 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 blank. See, I know most of your stories, and you aren't what we see now. <laughs> BC, whoo, come on, Jesus. You were messed up, jacked up, screwed up just like me. Come on. 
And the fact is, most of us were aggressive to the gospel. You know why we were aggressive to the gospel? Because we were deceived and we were bound. And when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived because you're deceived. Did y'all hear that? When you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived because you're deceived. And you're bound by sin. And the more you're bound by sin, the more deceived you are. And all of a sudden, there is an aggressiveness that comes against the gospel of Jesus Christ because somebody is calling you up and calling you out of something that you have embraced and rationalized in your mind as being good. And we have, there, there's an aggressive tendency toward Christianity. But here's the revelation. We are called to reach those people. We're called to reach those. And if you don't have a conviction... That says Jesus died for that person. Then you'll wash your hands. I've seen many Christians wash their hands of people. Because, well, they're just resistant and they're just aggressive. And I've even heard people say, well, if they want to go to hell, just let them go to hell. Aren't you glad God didn't say that about you? Aren't you glad that when you were resisting the gospel and you were aggressive to people that were trying to reach you, that somebody pressed in, that somebody stayed the course, that somebody loved you anyway? Think about that. You were that person. I was that person. But somebody pushed in. Somebody pushed in. Somebody pushed in. Somebody kept loving you and praying for you and inviting you and caring for you and loving you and, and building a bridge and building a bridge and building a bridge. And somewhere along the way, praise God, conviction came. Transformation came. Salvation came. And you're not who you used to be. Because somebody had enough conviction to believe that you are a person Jesus died for. And they were not willing to walk away. We've got to have that same conviction. We're living in a world where the aggression toward Christianity is continuing to escalate. Nathan last Sunday came up to me and shared with me a statistic about something that happened in Nigeria. I got home Sunday last, last Sunday, Nathan, and I got a text from another guy sending me a news article about exactly what you told me, so I'm going to share it this morning. In Nigeria over the Christmas holidays, 140 Christians were hunted down and killed by jihadist Muslims. Hunted down and killed. Since then, they have killed 40 more Christians. They have burned down four villages. The first building they always burn is the local church. And right now, Nigeria is the number one persecuted country for Christians on planet Earth. And let me give you a revelation. We're called to reach those people. Those jihadist Muslims are people Jesus died for. I'm reading a book right now uh, called Not Safe by Mark Batterson. He opens the book with this story, true story. I'm going to read it to you. A century ago, 100 years ago, a band of brave souls became known as one-way missionaries. Instead of suitcases, they would pack their few earthly belongings into coffins. And as they sailed out of port, they would wave goodbye to everyone that they loved and everything that they knew. They knew that they would never return home. A.W. Maline, never heard of this guy, was one of those missionaries. He set sail for New Herbreeze in the South Pacific. Knowing well that the headhunters who lived there had martyred and killed every missionary that had went before him. 
But his coffin was packed, and he went. And for 35 years, he lived among that tribe, loved them, shared the gospel with them. And when he died, tribe members buried him in his coffin in the middle of the village and inscribed this epitaph on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. And when he left, there was no darkness. We need conviction. Because we're called to reach the people that want to cut our heads off. We're called to reach the people that are aggressive and defensive against the gospel. Most of us will probably never face a headhunter. But we do all face aggressive people who are resistant to the gospel. And we need conviction. Because those are the very people Jesus died for. And we've got a commission from God to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? I want to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1-5. through 5 and I want us to see something. The Apostle Paul is describing an end-time culture to Timothy. And I believe the culture that he is describing, I think as we read through this, you're going to see our culture, our nation, our world right now. But listen to what he says. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. And then in verse 2 he begins to tell us why it's going to be so difficult. Look what he says. He says, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. And they will consider nothing sacred. So I want to stop there for a second. Here's what I want us to see. I want us to see the culture that Paul is describing. And, and how many of you know that when you look at that scripture, <laughs> I can kind of see our world today. People who love only themselves, who love only their money. People who are boastful and proud, scoffing God. Nothing sacred, disobedient, rebellious, and ungrateful. Not hard to look around our world and unfortunately see a lot of people who fall into some of those categories. But here's what I want to challenge us with. As we read through this scripture and we look at the culture that Paul is describing. When we live by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we automatically begin to live a counter-cultural life. And our life begins to stand in contrast to what the rest of the world is doing and living and being. And the power of conviction, as I said earlier, is that when I truly begin to live by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, my life automatically, by default, begins to rebuild righteousness. My life automatically by default begins to be a bridge that stands in the gap for other people. So I want you to think about, look at that scripture. Look at what he says. He says they will love only themselves. Let me tell you something. Every time you choose to, sa to sacrificially love others, you stand in the gap. I, I want to do this because I, I want to boil it down. I want to make it so practical and so simple that we understand the power of conviction. When I have conviction that every person matters to God, and I begin to love people 
Think about this. I begin, the gold rule, I begin to treat others not the way they treat me. I begin to treat others the way I want them to treat me. I want to treat you the way I want you to treat you. You know what? Everybody wants to be loved. So when I begin to love people that don't love me, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, sacrificial love for other people causes me to stand in the gap. And I'm not having to preach a sermon. I'm not having to tote my Bible. I'm not having to hit over, anybody over the head with my Bible. And I'm not having to drag anybody to church. I just start loving people with a sacrificial love. And you know what happens? My life begins to fill the gap. And my life begins to rebuild righteousness. When I begin, look what it says. They love, they love only themselves and they love their money. Think about that. Let, let me encourage all of us that are here. If you're in business in any way, form, or fashion. Let me take that back. If you... Deal with money, so that's all of us. Let me, let me say it like this. You want to stand out and stand in the gap in our world today? Then stop making decisions based on what is most profitable and start making decisions based on what is right in the eyes of God. I, I'm, 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 I'm grieved many times I'll talk to Christian businessmen and they'll be talking about an unethical procedure they're doing. <laughs> And then they'll say, well, you know, Pastor Keith, that's just business. Well, if it's unethical, then it's unethical. And what we have failed to understand is if you follow the system of the world, that unethical concept only leads to more unethical behavior. But if we follow the standard of God, all of a sudden integrity and honesty begin to produce righteousness and godliness and how many know that God can bless you better than the world ever imagined and he's not afraid of pouring out money on his children but we got to recognize so here's here's all we got to do we just got to live by the conviction that I'm not going to follow money I'm going to follow God and the moment you do that you stand in the gap you begin to rebuild a wall it's so powerful it's so powerful. Look what he says. He says they are they're scoffing God. They're disobedient to parents. Let me give you let me give you a thought here. And I, I gotta hurry, but let me give you this thought. Submission to authority is a game changer. Submission to authority is a game changer. We live in a world where nobody wants anybody to tell them what to do. Right? Well, who do you think you are, my boss? Well, yeah, I actually am. <laughs> I'm signing your paycheck, you know. They don't want anybody to tell them what to do. If you and I will recognize, again, I'm not talking about submitting to unrighteous things. I'm just talking about doing your job, submitting to the authority. Husbands and wives, parents and children, employers and employees. Just, just honoring authority and being obedient to those in authority over you. And you know what will happen? You'll stand out. You'll stand out. On your job, you'll stand out because everybody else will be taking an extra 15 minutes on their break and you'll be going back on time. And you'll stand out. They may make fun of you. They may laugh at you. But when promotion time comes and somebody's going to get a little extra greenback on their paycheck, guess who they're going to choose? The guy that takes the extra break or the guy that shows up and does his work on time? I know who I'm choosing. You want to stand out? Think about it. It's that simple. The conviction that I'm not working for man. I'm working for God. It's that conviction. It says they, they will consider nothing sacred. When we, just, when we just honor, think about this. One thing, the, the, the sacredness of marriage, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And I understand, listen to me, I understand sometimes divorce is, is, is the only option. I got it. And I, I understand there are biblical reasons for divorce, and I got that too. But, but I also know that sometimes 
We just aren't happy. And sometimes we just get our feelings hurt. And let me, let me tell you what will happen. You, you go to work tomorrow. If, you work on, in, in a, if you're not working in a Christian environment, you go to work tomorrow and you tell all your coworkers how mean and hateful and cruel your spouse has been to you. And you know what most of them will do? Most of them will say something like this. Well, you ought to get a divorce. You ought to leave her. You don't deserve that. You ought to get out of that. The world will encourage you to run from your marriage. To throw in the towel and give it up just because it got hard. But you know what God will do? When you begin to hold some sacred things, God will bless the commitment of your heart. God will bless the integrity of your life. God will bless. And again, I'm not saying that sometimes, hey, people need to get out. I get that. I'm just saying over the petty stuff that most of us walk away from, we can recognize when I begin to hold sacred things sacred. How many of y'all know we live in a world today where, where gender is no longer sacred? But when we begin to hold those things sacred, you know what happens? We rebuild the wall. That's why you can't be silent. That's why when gender identity stuff comes up, we're not supposed to condemn people, but we're supposed to speak truth into a culture that's deceived. Because if you don't speak truth into that, you know what will happen? That wall just keeps getting torn down, torn down, torn down, torn down. And before you know it, your children are buying the lie. They're buying the lie because they're not hearing consistent truth from their parents. Let me, let me tell you this. I'm way over, but I'm on. Y'all good? Y'all got five more minutes for me? Somebody go apologize to our children's workers, so I'm sorry. So this morning at our early service, our computer was messed up, and, and so we didn't have uh, the, the screen during most of the service. And, and so the Lord just prompted me as we were doing that to talk about the importance of memorizing Scripture. John Wesley talked about it. Do, do you realize in some countries right now, many, many persecuted Christian countries, many countries around the world, people, Christians don't own a Bible. Many, they might have a page out of the Bible. And the only way, listen to this, the only way that they can pass on Scripture to their children is they can only pass on the Scripture they've memorized. Because they don't have a Bible and they can't say, read your Bible. They don't have a Bible. So the only way they can transfer their faith and the Word of God from one generation to another generation is they have to memorize the Scripture and then teach that Scripture to their children. So let me ask you a question. If the only Scripture your children could learn was the Scripture you've memorized, how much Scripture would they know? That's not to condemn us. That's just to say, hey, right now we have a privilege called we get to study the Bible and memorize Scripture for the fun of it. But what if we begin to recognize, man, the significance of God's Word being hid in our heart and that we took that to a place where I said, you know what, I want to teach my kids the Word of God. He goes on, verse 3, he says, they're unloving, they're unforgiving, they'll slander others, they have no self-control, they'll be cruel and hate what is good. Let me just challenge you, flip the coin. Be loving, be forgiving. When you forgive, how many know that forgiveness is the one thing so power, so much power in forgiveness. When you forgive somebody, you automatically build a bridge and stand in the gap. And the truth is, it is impossible to have long-term relationships. You can't have a long-term friendship. You can't have a long-term marriage. You can't have a long-term church family. You can't have anything that is of longevity unless you learn how to forgive. Because we all mess up. And so without forgiveness, there's no longevity to life. There's no longevity relationship. So when we forgive, we, we, we say, I'm not going to be unforgiving. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to follow that conviction that if I don't forgive others, God won't forgive me. That's in the Bible. 
I'm going to follow that conviction. That forgiveness is not optional. I don't get to opt out on forgiving people just because it was really bad what they did to me. Forgiveness frees me and it builds a bridge for God to work. He says they slander, they have no self-control, they're cruel, they're hateful. You, you want to blow the world's mind? Then when somebody slanders you on social media, don't do anything. Stop defending yourself. Stop defending yourself. The Bible says the Lord is our defender. I learned a long time ago, I learned a long time ago, I can spend my time, energy, and effort putting out these little wildfires, you know, because somebody said, well, Pastor Key said that. I didn't say that. Pastor Key did that. I didn't do that. I could spend my whole life chasing all these little fires and going behind all these little people, all this little gossip, all this little slander, trying to put out all these fires. I could spend all my time and energy putting out fires, or I can start, I can, I can come on this side and I can say, I'm gonna build a Holy Ghost fire of revival. And I decided a long time ago, I want to build the fire revival instead of spend my time putting out fires. Well, Pastor Keith, what do you do when somebody slanders you? Nothing. I pray for them. This is what I pray. Lord, bless them. I pray, God, Lord, I ask you to bless them. I ask you to minister to them. I ask you to help them. God, I pray that you would come alongside them. I pray that you would strengthen them right now. God, I pray you would bring them out of any deception, Lord, and you would just bless them with the light of Christ, Lord. Bless them right now. And every time I think about them, I say, Lord, bless them, Lord, bless them, Lord, bless them. And I'm praying that out of a heart that genuinely desires to see God do good things in their life. And I'm just going to tell you something. God's a good defender. I'm not saying if you're in a conversation, you can't defend yourself and give your opinion all that stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying don't get caught up in that trap. Well, they slandered me, I'm going to slander them. They spoke against me, I'm going to speak against them. Release them to the Lord. Live by the conviction that says the Lord is my defender. And God will fight for me. Amen? Verse 4. He said they betray their friends. They're reckless. They're puffed up with pride. They love pleasure rather than God. Look, look at that last part. They love pleasure rather than God. Think about that. What if, we were, what if we were as passionate about church and Christianity as Alabama fans are about Nick Saban and football? As Auburn fans are. As whoever going to be playing the Super Bowl this year. I don't guess we know yet. Anyway. Think about sports fans. They spend thousands and thousands of dollars. They spend time, energy, and effort. They study statistics. They know their favorite player. They talk about it all the time. What if we were that passionate about God? Nothing wrong with football. I hope Alabama wins. I do. You want to stand out? You want to be a gap filler? You want to rebuild the wall? Then have a greater passion for God than you do for pleasure. Make sure that your passion for God is greater than your passion for your hobby. Verse 5, he says they act religious, but they reject the power that can make them godly, so stay away from people like that. Let me, let me tell you one of the greatest things we can do. We can just live a life-giving relationship with God. We, we can refuse to be religious, and we can be righteous by cultivating a relationship with Jesus. Amen. That we value relationship over ritual. We value relationship with God over rules and regulations. And all of a sudden, you begin to see your life will stand out and be huge, a huge difference. Last thought, here it is. Why conviction? Because conviction rebuilds the walls of righteousness. 
Conviction causes us to stand in the gap. Conviction refuses to say nothing, do nothing, and act like nothing is wrong. Conviction fights for the souls of humanity and establishes the kingdom of God. In Jude chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, I'm just going to start there. It says, And on some have compassion, making a distinction, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled by sin. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. I want our prayer teams to come. We're going to go on a final song of worship this morning. We're going to open the altar this morning. Why conviction? Because the world's counting on us. We can't say nothing, do nothing, and act like nothing's wrong. We've got to engage. And it's through conviction that that happens. So as we go into this last song, this is what I want to challenge you. Just a couple things. I want to challenge you with maybe, maybe you recognize that maybe you're just lacking conviction when it comes to the things that really matter, the things of God. You realize, I just really, Pastor Keith, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not driven by conviction. I used to be so passionate, but I've kind of lost that passion and that conviction. And maybe today you just want God to stir that up in you. We'd love to pray with you this morning. Our prayer teams would love just to agree with you the prayer that God would stir up the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Maybe you realize that maybe there are some convictions in your life that, that don't glorify God. Maybe there's some things you've been chasing that probably you don't need to chase anymore. Maybe you just need to make a small shift where that thing no longer becomes an idol, but now it becomes a thing that brings glory to God. It's amazing how a small shift can really change everything. Maybe you're here this morning and Maybe you've lost your passion for souls. Maybe that conviction to reach people. Maybe, maybe you've kind of stepped back and washed your hands a little bit and just like, <coughs> you don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person. So maybe you just need to come and you want somebody to pray with you or you want to kneel on the altar and just pray. This is our moment. Just say, God, stir up conviction in us. Stir up conviction in our hearts this morning. So as we worship him this morning, the altar's open. You just come right now. Let's pray. Let's cry out for that conviction this morning. Oh, the beauty to think of who you are is overwhelming. The promises you make, they will above me.
Let's just bow our heads this morning. Maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you realize, you know what, Pastor Keith, right now I'm feeling that conviction. That conviction you talked about when you were 19 years old that I realized today I, I don't know the Lord. I've never really been saved. I've never been born again. But today I want to make that decision. I want to trust Jesus. I realize that I am lost. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And so this morning if that's you and you say, Pastor Keith, right now I... I'm under that conviction, and I want to respond to Jesus and make Him Lord of my life. If that's you, let's just raise your hand all over the building right now. Just a simple act of faith that says, today, Pastor Keith, that's me. I'm raising my hand. I want to, I want to be born again today. I want to follow Jesus. If you're watching online, you can just type in that chat box. I'm raising my hand. Right now, there's conviction. Right now, the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart. You know you're not ready to meet God. You know that you're not ready to stand before the Lord today. But this morning is your day, your salvation, your moment. And so right now, just a simple act of faith that says, Today's my day, Pastor Keith. I want to repent of my sins. I want to turn to God. I'm going to pray a prayer with you, all of us in this room. Let's just say this prayer together out loud. If you raised your hand here in the room or online, this prayer is for you. Let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent. And I turn to you. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. God bless you today. We love you. Welcome to the family if you prayed that prayer today. Have a great day in the Lord. We love you guys. 6 p.m. tonight at Holly Pond. And for all of our parents, if you go pick your kids up, tell them Pastor Keith said he's sorry. Amen. I love them very much. Thank you, guys.